0: CHAPTER FOUR, PART ONE, OF THE RAINBOW TRAIL, BY ZANE GRAY. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. NEW FRIENDS, PART ONE Shefford ended his narrative out of breath, pale and dripping with sweat. Withers sat leaning forward with an expression of intense interest. Nas Tebega, easy, graceful pose, had succeeded to one of strained rigidity. He seemed a statue of bronze. Could a few intelligible words, Shefford wondered, have created that strange listening posture? Venters got out of Utah, of course, as you know, went on Shefford. He got out knowing, as I feel, I would have known that Jane Lassiter and little Fay Larkin were shut up, walled up in Surprise Valley. For years Venters considered it would not have been safe for him to venture to rescue them. He had no fears for their lives. They could live in Surprise Valley, but Venters always intended to come back with Bess and find the valley and his friends. No wonder he and Bess were haunted. However, when his wife had the baby, that made a difference. It meant he had to go alone. And he was thinking seriously of starting when, when there were developments that made it desirable for me to leave Beaumont. Venter's story haunted me as he had been haunted. I dreamed of that wild valley of little Fay Larkin grown to womanhood. Such a woman as best Venter's was, and the longing to come was great, and withers here I am." The trader reached out and gave Shefford the grip of a man in whom emotion was powerful, but deep and difficult to express listen to this. I wish I could help you. Life is a queer deal. Shefford, I've got to trust you. Over here in the wild canyon country there's a village of Mormons' sealed wives. It's in Arizona, perhaps twenty miles from here, and near the Utah line." When the United States government began to persecute or prosecute the Mormons for polygamy, the Mormons over here in Stonebridge took their sealed wives and move them out of Utah, just across the line. They built houses, established a village there. I'm the only Gentile who knows about it, and I pack supplies every few weeks into these women. There are perhaps fifty women, mostly young, second or third or fourth wives of Mormons, sealed wives, and I want you to understand that sealed means sealed in all that religion or loyalty can get out of the word. There are also some old women and old men in the village, but they hardly count. And there's a flock of the finest children you ever saw in your life. The idea of the Mormons must have been to escape prosecution. The law of the government is one wife for each man, no more. All over Utah, polygamists have been arrested. The Mormons are deeply concerned. I believe they are good, law-abiding people, but this law is a direct blow at their religion. In my opinion, they can't obey both, and therefore they have not altogether given up plural wives. Perhaps they will some day. I have no proof, but I believe the Mormons at Stonebridge pay secret night visits to their sealed wives across the line in the lonely, hidden village. Now once over in Stonebridge I overheard some Mormons talking about a girl who was named Fay Larkin. I never forgot the name. Later I heard the name in this sealed wife village. But as I told you, I never heard of Lassiter or Jane Witherstein. Still, if Mormons had found them, I would never have heard of it. And deception pass. That might be the sagi. I'm not surprised at your rainbow-chasing adventure. It's a great story. This Fay Larkin I've heard of might be your Fay Larkin.' I almost believe so. Shefford, I'll help you find out. Yes, yes, I must know, replied Shefford. Oh, I hope, I pray, we can find her. But I'd rather she was dead if she's not still hidden in the valley. Naturally, you've dreamed yourself into rescuing this lost Fay Larkin. But, Shefford, you're old enough to know life doesn't work out as you want it to. One way or another, I fear you were in for a bitter disappointment. "'Withers, take me to the village.' "'Shefford, you're liable to get in bad out there,' said the trader, gravely. "'I couldn't be any more ruined than I am now,' replied Shefford, passionately. "'But there's risk in this, risk such as you've never had,' persisted Withers. "'I'll risk anything.' "'Reckon this is a funny deal for a sheep trader to have on his hands,' continued Withers. "'Shefford, I like you. "'I've a mind to see you through this. "'It's a damn strange story. "'I'll tell you what. "'I will help you. "'I'll give you a job packing supplies into the village. "'I meant to turn that over to a Mormon cowboy, Joe Lake. "'The job shall be yours, and I'll go with you first trip. "'Here's my hand on it. "'Now, Shefford, I'm more curious about you than I was before you told your story. "'What ruined you?' As we're to be partners, you can tell me now. I'll keep your secret. Maybe I can do you good. Shefford wanted to confess, yet it was hard. Perhaps, had he not been so agitated, he would not have answered to impulse. But this traitor was a man, a man of the desert. He would understand. I told you I was a clergyman, said Shefford, in a low voice. I didn't want to be one, but they made me one. I did my best. I failed. I had doubts of religion, of the Bible, of God, as my church believed in them. As I grew older, thought and study convinced me of the narrowness of my religion as my congregation lived it. I preached what I believed. I alienated them. They put me out, took my calling from me, disgraced me, ruined me." "'So that's all?' exclaimed Withers, slowly. "'You didn't believe in the God of the Bible?' "'Well, I've been in the desert long enough to know that there is a god, but probably not the one your church worships. Shefford, go to the Navajo for a faith.'" Shefford had forgotten the presence of Nastebega, and perhaps Withers had likewise. At this juncture the Indian rose to his full height, and he folded his arms to stand with the somber pride of a chieftain, while his dark, inscrutable eyes were riveted upon Shefford. At that moment he seemed magnificent. How infinitely more he seemed than just a common Indian who had chanced to befriend a white man. The difference was obscure to Shefford, but he felt that it was there in the Navajo's mind. Nas Bega's strange look was not to be interpreted. Finally he turned and passed from the room. By George, cried Withers suddenly, and he pounded his knee with his fist. "'I'd forgotten.' "'What?' ejaculated Shefford. "'Why, that Indian understood every word we said. "'He knows English. "'He's educated. "'Well, if this doesn't beat me. "'Let me tell you about Nas Tebega.' "'Withers seemed to be recalling something half-forgotten. "'Years ago, in 57, I think, "'Kit Carson, with his soldiers, "'chased the Navajo tribes "'and rounded them up to be put on reservations.' But he failed to catch all the members of one tribe. They escaped up into a wild canyon like the Sagi. The descendants of these fugitives live there now, and are the finest Indians on earth. The finest because unspoiled by the white man. Well, as I got the story, years after Carson's roundup, one of his soldiers guided some interested travelers in here. When they left, they took an Indian boy with them to educate. From what I know of Navajos, I'm inclined to think the boy was taken against his parents' wish. Anyway, he was taken. That boy was Nastebega. The story goes that he was educated somewhere. Years afterwards, and perhaps not long before I came in here, he returned to his people. There have been missionaries and other interested fools who have given Indians a white man's education. In all the instances I know of, these educated Indians returned to their tribes, repudiating the white man's knowledge, habits, life, and religion. I have heard that Nastebega Bega came back, laid down the white man's clothes along with the education, and never again showed that he had known either. You have just seen how strangely he acted. It's almost certain he heard our conversation. Well, it doesn't matter. He won't tell. He can hardly be made to use an English word. Besides, he's a noble red man, if there ever was one. He's been a friend in need to me. If you stay long out here, you'll learn something from the Indians. Ta Bega has befriended you, too, it seems. I thought he showed unusual interest in you. Perhaps that was because I saved his sister, well, to be charitable, from the rather rude advances of a white man said Shefford, and he proceeded to tell of the incident that occurred at Red Lake. Willets exclaimed Withers, with much the same expression that Presby had used. I never met him, but I know about him. He's, well, the Indians don't like him much. Most of the missionaries are good men. Good for the Indians, in a way, but sometimes one drifts out here who is bad. A bad missionary teaching religion to savages Queer, isn't it? The queerest part is the white people's blindness, the blindness of those who send the missionaries. Well, I dare say, Willits isn't very good. When Presby said that was Willits' way of teaching religion, he meant just what he said. If Willits drifts over here, he'll be risking much. This you told me explains Ta Begas' friendliness toward you. And also, his bringing his sister, to live with relatives up in the pass. She had been living near Red Lake. "'Do you mean Nestebega Ta-Bega wants to keep his sister far removed from Willetts? inquired Shefford. "'I mean that,' replied Withers, "'and I hope he's not too late.'" Later, Shefford went outdoors to walk and think. There was no moon, but the stars made light enough to cast his shadow on the ground. The dark, illimitable expanse of blue sky seemed to be glittering with numberless points of fire. The air was cold and still. A dreaming silence lay over the land. Shefford saw and felt all these things, and their effect was continuous and remained with him and helped calm him. He was conscious of a burden removed from his mind. Confession of his secret had been like tearing a thorn from his flesh, but once done it afforded him relief and a singular realization, that out here it did not matter much. In a crowd of men all looking at him, and judging him by their standards, he had been made to suffer. Here, if he were judged at all, it would be by what he could do, how he sustained himself and helped others. He walked far across the valley toward the low bluffs, but they did not seem to get any closer, and finally he stopped beside a stone and looked around at the strange horizon and up at the heavens. He did not feel utterly aloof from them, nor alone in a waste, nor a useless atom amid incomprehensible forces. Something like a loosened mantle fell from about him. Dropping at his feet, and all at once, he was conscious of freedom. He did not understand in the least why abasement left him, but it was so. He had come a long way, in bitterness, in despair, believing himself to be what men had called him. The desert and the stars and the wind, the silence of the night, the loneliness of this vast country, where there was room for a thousand cities, these somehow vaguely yet surely bade him lift his head. They withheld their secret, but they made a promise. The thing which he had been feeling every day and every night was a strange, enveloping comfort. And it was at this moment that Shefford, divining whence his help was to come, embraced all that wild and speaking nature around and above him, and surrendered himself utterly. I am young. I am free. I have my life to live, he said. I'll be a man. I'll take what comes. Let me learn here. When he had spoken out, settled once and forever, his attitude toward his future, he seemed to be born again, wonderfully alive to the influences around him, ready to trust what yet remained a mystery. Then his thoughts reverted to Fay Larkin. Could this girl be known to the Mormons? It was possible. Fay Larkin was an unusual name. Deep into Shefford's heart had sunk the story Venters had told. Shefford found that he had unconsciously created a like romance. He had been loving a wild and strange and lonely girl, like beautiful Bess Venters. It was a shock to learn the truth, but as it had been only a dream, it could hardly be vital. Shefford retraced his steps toward the post. Halfway back he espied a tall, dark figure moving toward him, and presently the shape and the step seemed familiar. Then he recognized Nastebega. Soon they were face to face. Shefford felt that the Indian had been trailing him over the sand, and this was to be a significant meeting. Remembering Winter's revelation about the Navajo, Shefford scarcely knew how to approach him now. There was no difference to be made out in Nestebega's dark face and inscrutable eyes. Yet there was a difference to be felt in his presence. But the Indian did not speak, and turned to walk by Shefford's side. Shefford could not long be silent. "'Nas Bega, were you looking for me?' he asked. "'You had no gun,' replied the Indian. But for his very low voice, his slow speaking of the words, Shefford would have thought him a white man. For Shefford, there was indeed an instinct in this meeting, and he turned to face the Navajo. Withers told me you had been educated, that you came back to the desert, that you never showed your training. Nas Bega, did you understand all I told Withers? Yes, replied the Indian. You won't betray me. I am a Navajo. Nas Bega, you trail me. You say I had no gun. Shefford wanted to ask this Indian if he cared to be the white man's friend, but the question was not easy to put. "'and besides, seemed unnecessary. "'I am alone and strange in this wild country. "'I must learn. nesta Bega will show you the trails "'and the water holes, and how to hide from Shad.' "'For money, for silver, you will do this?' inquired Shefford. Shefford felt that the Indian's silence was a rebuke. He remembered Withers' singular praise of this red man. He realized he must change his idea of Indians. Nastebega, I know nothing. I feel like a child in the wilderness. When I speak, it is out of the mouth of those who have taught me. I must find a new voice and a new life. You heard my story to Withers. I am an outcast from my own people. If you will be my friend, be so.' The Indian clasped Shefford's hand and held it in response that was more beautiful for its silence. So they stood for a moment in the starlight. Nas Te Bega, what did Withers mean when he said go to the Navajo for a faith? asked Shefford. He meant the desert is my mother. Will you go with Nas Te Bega into the canyon and the mountains? Indeed I will. They unclasped hands and turned toward the trading post. Nas Ta Bega "'Have you spoken my tongue to any other white man "'since you returned to your home?' asked Shefford. "'No.' "'Why do you? Why are you different for me?' The Indian maintained silence. "'Is it because of—of of Glen Nespa? inquired Shefford. "'Nas stalked on, still silent. "'But Shefford divined that, "'although his service to Glen Nespa "'would never be forgotten, still—' It was not wholly responsible for the Indian's subtle sympathy. By nigh, the Navajo will call his white friend. By nigh, brother, said Nastebega, and he spoke haltingly, not as if words were hard to find, but strange to speak. I was stolen from my mother's hogan and taken to California. They kept me ten years in a mission at San Bernardino and four years in a school. They said my color and my hair were all that was left of the Indian in me, but they could not see my heart. They took fourteen years of my life. They wanted to make me a missionary among my own people. But the white man's ways and his life and his God are not the Indian's. They never can be. How strangely productive of thought for Shefford to hear the Indian talk. What fatality in this meeting and friendship? Upon Ness had been forced education, training, religion, that had made him something more and something less than an Indian. It was something assimilated from the white man which made the Indian unhappy and alien in his own home, something meant to be good for him and his kind that had ruined him, for Shefford felt the passion and the tragedy of this Navajo nigh the Indian is dying. Naste Bega's low voice was deep and wonderful with its intensity of feeling. The white man robbed the Indian of lands of homes, drove him into the deserts, made him a gaunt and sleepless spiller of blood. The blood is all spilled now, for the Indian is broken, but the white man sells him rum and seduces his daughters. He will not leave the Indian in peace with his own God by nigh the indian is dying end of chapter 4 part 1